0: It's around about A.D. 50, the year A.D. 50, or 50 A.D., in a city of Thessalonica, and the Christians there were fiercely persecuted for their faith. However, the church of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica stood strong in the Lord. And so Paul would write a letter to them, his first letter, which we know now as First Thessalonians, and he wrote an encouragement to them, giving thanks for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their perseverance through persecution. He says, you keep living a life worthy of the gospel. He tells them that Christ will come again. And there will be opposition in the days that will lead to that. See, Christ will come again like a thief in the night, and you'll gather all those believers, those who have died and those who are alive, and you'll gather them and they will rapture and they'll meet with Jesus For all of eternity. It says, till that time arrives, there will be fierce opposition. Persecution will intensify. Therefore, you live as children of the light. There will be spiritual warfare. You put on the armor of God and you encourage and build one another up in the faith. After that letter was written and read out to the church, persecution did intensify. In fact, people were violently persecuted for their faith, and some even died. But yet, the Thessalonians' believers continued to fight the faith. And some issues did creep into the church, and that would become the motivation for Paul to write his second letter, which we know as Second Thessalonians. And in that letter he begins, he says, Well done, guys. Keep moving in the faith, keep living a life worthy of the gospel, endure in the faith. He writes that Christ will come again. But in that coming again, the Lord will come in justice and in righteousness and He will judge those who have not followed Him, who have rebelled against Him and He will honor those who have lived in a life worthy of the gospel. And then he continues on in chapter 2. And he says, well, concerning the second coming of Christ and the gathering of His people where they'll be raptured to meet Him. I have received news, says Paul, that you've heard a claim from someone. Now this person has claimed it either through a letter or through a word of prophecy, but they've claimed that Christ has come again already. And this caused tremendous fear in the believers because they're thinking, oh my goodness, I've been left behind. Christ has come like a thief in the night. I have not been gathered with all the other believers. I've been left behind. Now you have understand the context here. They're very vulnerable because they're already receiving much persecution. And now if they're left behind, they're going to receive even more. This has created a lot of fear. It has shaken them up. In fact, Paul writes there, he writes these words. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed because this has not happened. This is a false claim. The word used here by Paul, shaken, is a word used to describe the motion produced by storm waves. And when a ship is there, it is tossed about violently. And this is what was happening to the believers their foundations were tossed around, their faith was tossed around, and they experienced tremendous fear instead of faith in the Lord. Their composure in the Lord was replaced with confusion. But yet the second coming of Christ is not meant to produce fear, but meant to give us hope because we will meet our Savior, King Jesus, for all of eternity. So therefore, Paul says, do not be shaken, rather possess unshakable faith in me. And that is what our focus is on this morning, because in our world today, as we fast forward from Paul's time, we discerned that we are living in these last days, and our faith will be shaken, but yet we are called to possess unshakable faith. And to possess unshakable faith in these last days, we need to cultivate spiritual vigilance and have confidence in his victory. So let's dive into Scripture this morning and let's look at this first point, cultivate spiritual vigilance. Invite us to open up our Bibles and to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to jump over now to verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you in any way. Let no one deceive you In any way. In other words, here the believers were shaken in their faith by this false claim that Christ has already come again. And it shook them up, but they were deceived. When Paul writes, Do not be deceived, the other way of putting it is that instead of being shaken in your faith, be anchored in truth. And in order to be anchored in truth, you must know what is true and be able to discern it. Therefore, you must walk in the ways of God. You must get into the Scripture. And as Paul will continue to write, he begins to reveal truth that has been revealed through the ages. In this passage that we're about to dive into, it is littered with references from the book of Daniel chapter 7-12. And even some of his teaching that he wrote about in First Thessalonians. And this is what he begins to write as we continue on in verse 3. Have a look there with me in your Scripture. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Here Paul begins to describe in the days that will lead up to the second coming of Christ to that day of the Lord, two things will happen. The rebellion and the man of lawlessness will appear. Rebellion. What is rebellion? It is spiritual rebellion. Going against the ways of God. Oh yes, making false claims coming up with false doctrines, false teachings, and people led astray or letting our own rebellion get the best of us and living a life of lawlessness, rebellion, spiritual rebellion. The second thing will happen is that there will be a man that will rise up and he will be this man called the man of lawlessness or as scholars put it, the Antichrist. And this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will be the son of destruction. He does not bring life, he brings death. And he opposes everything that God desires for life. And he will exalt himself above God. In other words, he will be worshipped by other people, followed by other people, and he will lead them down the path of destruction and evil. And one of the things the Antichrist does is that he disguises right evil for righteousness. In other words, it looks like righteousness, it smells like it, it tastes like it, but actually it's evil. He will lead us astray. Scholars debate about who this Antichrist is. Is he here yet? And there's much speculation sometimes in the church, or maybe it's this person, or maybe it's that person. But there is a school of thought in the theological halls that Over the period of time in history, since Caesar all the way to our modern day today, there have been types of Antichrists that have risen up. Forerunners of the Antichrist, for there will be an ultimate Antichrist. In other words, there have been men have risen up into leadership positions from Caesar all the way to some examples like Adolf Hitler, who have led the world through a path of destruction. And people worshipped that person. They were fearing that person. He, there are promises made that they will lead them to the path of hope, but actually to a path of destruction and death. Rebellion will happen. Why? Why will we live in days of rebellion? Because rebellion is actually in our hearts, in my heart, in your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick or wicked, Who can understand this heart? Romans 3, 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We all somehow in our humanity have an attraction to sin. Oh, it looks good. And when we get involved in it, it feels fun. It's like we are drawn like a magnet to us. And when we're in sin, it feels good for that point of time. You get a bit of a high. But the moment you feel the effects of sin, you feel absolutely terrible. You don't have to be a believer of Christ to experience that. It is our humanity. We have that propensity or that desire for sin. It's like playing with fire. Oh, you're fascinated by it. But then you get burnt. In days that we live in today, spiritual rebellion is marked by What looks good, what looks righteous, is actually dark and evil. And we can't tell. Let me give you just a very quick example of that. It is the legalization of marijuana, or some call it cannabis, some call it ganja, some call it weed. And so there are countries in different parts of the world now that begin to legalize this drug. Why? Well, it's very simple. Go back a few years ago, there was someone who decided, we're going to have lots of parties, we're going to have weed parties, grass parties, and we're going to have smoke ganja together, marijuana together. We get high, it's okay, no harm. Free love, it's all good. Then they give birth to their children. And they're thinking, oh, my son, my daughter's been tempted to have weed. Go ahead, try I did it when I was young, it's okay. It's all good. No harm anybody. And then, These young people then grow up to be legislators. And they're thinking to themselves, well, why do we want to criminalize uh, marijuana? I did it. I still want to do it. You know what? I have the power now to legislate it. This is called discipleship, by the way. I disciple my kid to take drugs, right? It's a form of discipleship and it's very insidious. Because it's steeped in darkness. We all know that drugs aren't good for our body. But somehow or other, we normalize sin and we make it look like it's very good. It's harmless. Now you might say, therefore, well, it's not in the Bible. It does not say thou shalt not smoke marijuana. Thou shalt not get high on a Saturday night. But if you know the truth, the truth is that we are created in the image of God. Our bodies are to be worshipped to be a worship unto God. We are to steward our bodies well. It's discernment of truth. And therefore, we must disciple the generations in all truth. We must teach each other to guard our hearts that is desperately sick to guard our hearts is to keep spiritual vigilance, and we need to cultivate that, not just in our generation, but in the next. The other day, I went to Fort Siloso with my son. We went to Sentosa for the day. Not been to Fort Siloso before. I never grew up here, so I didn't go on a school trip to go to for Fort Siloso, right? And so where, where, where it is, Is this There's this watchtower. And there'll be a guy there with his binoculars. And then there are also all these dugouts. There are trenches there, and there are dugouts where they had the watchmen, and they could see through their binoculars through holes that they had built. And they would be able to spot the enemy. They were able to see their field of operation from a distance, and think of strategies how to nullify that, or how to give an alert to soldiers behind them that the enemy was coming. That's keeping vigilance. But there's one room, very obscure room, near the watchtower at Fort Soloso, which reenacts when the British soldiers, they did a runner. They saw the Japanese coming and they ran. And they left all their things on the table. What happened was that after that, the Japanese invaded. Does that happen in your life? that you're not keeping that vigilance and you allow the devil to slowly creep into your life and play on that rebellious heart of ours and allow sin to invade us, that it shakes our faith and we are no longer living that unshakable faith because we have failed to cultivate spiritual vigilance in our life. I remember when I was a young person growing up in Australia, there were two Asians in my class in year three or secondary three. There was Esther and myself and all the white Aussies there. And being a short young Asian that desperately wanted to be part of the gang, I would participate in anything that my friends would do. And you know what's the funny thing about sin and humanity? In order to be part of a group, we have to do something naughty, right? We have to get up to some mischief. It's our attraction to sin. So what do we do? We bully people, we tease people, we make fun of people, we make fun of their hair, their size, their weight, all kinds of things. And one of the things that as we continue to grow in this path is that we become anti-authoritarian. And that's what sin does, isn't it? So who do we target? The teacher. Especially the math teacher, the chemistry teacher. And so we would do that. And so we'd say, oh, we're going to do this. So we gather to church. Not church, but class early. And we start planning what we're going to do to the teacher today. And everyone has to be in on it, but there's one girl, Esther. Boy, she was a spoiler because she refused to get involved. She'll sit at the front. She'll also be quite quiet, come early. But while we're all scheming, she avoids it. So we used to make fun of her. Esther, why don't you get involved? She said, no, it's okay. No, thanks. You can carry on. And the worst part about it, she was so annoying because she was getting good grades. (laughs) And one day, as we were planning, one of the girls said, Esther, why don't you get involved? And Esther said, no, it's okay, you carry on. Now Esther became a very helpful student, helping others through their problems, and she gained the respect slowly of students. And again, another girl said, why don't you want to participate in one day she said, I will not participate because I want to honor Jesus. You could hear a pin drop. No one said a thing. And the funny thing is no one made fun of her because she had won the respect of all of us classmates. She kept her spiritual vigilance. A couple of months later, now I was a Christian, and I went to visit a church, and lo and behold, there was Esther. And this church fascinated me because the youth in that church, they gathered early. One hour early for church, gathered, and they were praying. They were interceding. And as they were praying, they were praying not just for themselves, for good grades and all that kind of stuff. My parents were not nag at me. No, they were praying prayers for their classrooms, for their fellow students, that they would know Jesus, that sin would not invade the classrooms. And I thought, no wonder Esther's like that. And then they'll get into Scripture, they'll really read the Scripture because they saw that as their guide and to be able to know the difference between evil and righteousness, false teaching and truth. And I understood how, in her generation, amongst her peers, she was cultivating spiritual vigilance. You know, I heard a pastor the other day say this. He said that sometimes in our modern church, we equate salvation as the finishing line. In other words, another way of putting it is, imagine this is the starting line. I come to know Christ right here. There are some people who live their life as if this is it. This is the Christian life. This is where it ends, right here. I have saved. I'm going to heaven. All is good. And they start wandering around this little line here. Oh, it's all good. I'm just saved. I can go to heaven. I can live whatever life I want to live. And in fact, they get into sin. Sin. That's okay. I'm saved. This is the finishing line. But is that the truth? Is that scripture? We are called to live in unshakable faith. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And that anchors, the great commission that calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all I've commanded. In other words, I must know the truth to be able to teach them. And there comes the great conviction. And as anyone to come after me, he must deny himself or die to himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. And in that following of Christ, oh, there'll be opposition, oh, there'll be all these lies and deception. So you must know the truth. That is why we encourage you to get into God's word. To join precept, for example, to teach us what the Word of God says, have handles on it to be able to discern truth, and then not just know it, but live it out. See, the Word of God is Jesus Himself. He is the Word. Therefore, we are to follow after the footsteps of Jesus. The Bible says that the battle that we face today is not flesh and blood, but it's of evil and principalities. And Paul calls us to walk in step with the Spirit. It's not to king guy with the spirit. Uh, it's to walk, allowing him to walk before you. And the spirit of word walking before us, we are to follow him. The other day, we had a prayer walk in Little India, and I saw a father with his son prayer walking, and I was explaining to him all the things about prayer walking and what to pray for and how to pray. And then the CG supporting this father teaching his son how to pray. That's discipleship. That's what's required in our church. That's why we come to Covenant EFC. It's not for good preaching. It's so that all of us grow to in our walk with Him because the starting line of salvation is not the finishing line. The goal is to pursue Christ's likeness and to win the world for Jesus Christ. That's why we say we want to return the church to her disciple-making roots through authentic discipleship, intentional disciple-making, and to multiply that, and disciples of a certain kind, to win the world for Christ. That's who we are, in essence of covenant EFC. Therefore, we must learn to cultivate this spiritual vigilance. My question for us is this, are you a people of rebellion or a people of redemption and of the resurrection? Because as a people of rebellion, we'll just live right here in this space. We won't cross the starting line. We won't get started. We'll just live here and live like everyone else in the world, just saying, I'm going to heaven. But to live the people of redemption is to walk that walk of faith with unshakable faith. And to be a people of the resurrection is to bring the gospel of Christ because rebellion leads to death but following Him leads to life in Jesus. We're not just called to cultivate spiritual vigilance, but we're also called to have confidence in His victory. Confidence in His victory. Paul begins to write in verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, it's not that you've deliberately forgotten. No, I need you to remember things that were written before. Things that have appeared in the book of Daniel, verse chapter 7 to 12. Things that I've said to you or taught to you, even in my letter to you in 1 Thessalonians. There are things in this last days that we must affirm and be anchored in. their truth that will dictate the way that we choose to live. And so if you look in Scripture with me, as your Bible is in front of you, allow me to read for us from verse 6 to 8, and you can read along with me. And Paul writes, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." Many Bible scholars debate about some of this. There's a lot of chatter about it. A lot of talk about who is the one who restrains? Who is this man of lawlessness? What does it mean by the mystery of lawlessness is now at work? And people debate about it, which comes first, which comes second. Has it already happened? Is it going to happen in the future? And so on and so forth. But there's one thing that they all agree on. that these verses point to two things. The sovereignty of God and the victory that is found in Jesus. The sovereignty of God. You see, God has a timing and it's written there in His timing. These things will happen. Perhaps the restrainer, for example, is a man or a government or a person of peace. We don't know who he is. But the Lord has His timing. And He will allow this restrainer, will allow... For this man of lawlessness will restrain him from coming, but then there will be a time in the Lord's timing, according to his sovereignty, that the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, will unleash havoc on this world. And there will come a time where the Lord Jesus will come and bring absolute certain victory. He says lawlessness is now at work. We see it in our day to day spiritual rebellion, intentional, deliberate words and thoughts and philosophies and YouTube blogs and memes and all that stuff on social media that sometimes what they do is they point us to other ways of living that don't follow the ways of Christ and say, it's all good, it's all good, it's all great, fantastic, enjoy it while you can. And we must be aware of this one thing that we do know for certain is that rebellion and all that, and all that the devil throws at this world and at the church today, will either shake us in our faith or will help us to have a greater faith in our God. As we are watchful, cultivating our spiritual vigilance, we must be confident in His victory. Because as the church faced in those days, fierce persecution. Think about how devastating that can be when you lose your family members because of your faith in Christ. Or we will be challenged, but we shall not be moved because His victory is certain. Have a look at verse 8 again. It says, Whom the Lord Jesus will kill this man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now think about this with me. Um, Pastor Emman Wong is now preaching at Bukit Panjang Center, and he shared with me this really funny illustration that I want to bring to you about this verse. He says, Matt, have you ever seen Kung Fu movies? He said, oh yeah, I love Kung Fu movie last time. He said, Imagine uh, last time the Kung Fu movie, the last 20, oh, it could be a two-hour show, uh, but the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I always have this epic battle between the villain and the hero. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here come the villain, boom, 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 walk up. Walk, boom, boom. Hey 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 Wang Fei Hong right steps in and then he warms up Hey then we all, whoa, slightly, that was great, right? Now, we all know what's going to happen, but we've got to watch it, right? And then the villain and the hero, Hiyah! the villain hits the hero. hero goes, then got blood. Hugh. Something got swords come out. here. Yeah. The villain stabs the hero, oh, a bit of blood. White oh. blood. This time the hero, he gets angry. Yeah. Then all the audience goes over <laughs> Then they fight yeah. After 20 minutes of exhaustion, it's one hit. Pa! Echo. The villain. Blood pa blood pa And then the audience go woah. Oh yeah, In contrast, check out verse eight the devil comes, the antichrist comes, Jesus comes along, (laughs) what is this talking about? In all seriousness, it's talking about the power of God just by a word or his breath, done. But we're reminded in this scripture here that the victory is already won. And we thought about that earlier on when we partook communion together. Imagine our God. all oh, His majesty. And the first thing we read in Scripture is He created this world and humanity. And you wanted humanity to flourish in this world. There was so much goodness in this world. But sin came in and invaded it. And look at the world through history. We see nothing but heartache and tragedy and violence and destruction. Kings fighting kings and kingdoms coming through. And one wants to be powerful over another. But in all of this tragedy, and sadness and disappointment, and betrayal and death, God had a wonderful plan. A redemptive plan. And he sent his only son, Jesus. And how did he bring victory? With swords and armies? No. By making himself completely naked, completely vulnerable, complete sacrifice like a lamb to the slaughter on the cross of Calvary, endured the greatest shame and pain ever devised by the evil hearts of men, and gave up his spirit for each of us for our sin. But three days later, he rose again, This Jesus that we worship is not one who is dead. He is alive. He is victorious and he brings that life to the church and the church is to bring that life to this world. That's why we sing, give me Jesus. I can have all this world, but I'd rather have Jesus. do you live with that unshakable faith? Will you be a people of the rebellion or the people of redemption and of the resurrection and live that radical life of faith, an unshakable faith? That's your desire. Then we must possess that unshakable faith by cultivating spiritual vigilance and having confidence in His victory. You know, many years ago, for quite a time, I would travel to East Timor once a year for a mission trip. And in that time, we would go to a specific village up in the mountains. It's a long hike to get there, ten and a half hours. we carry all our backpacks, our equipment, shovels and all that. And we'd do all these works, humanitarian work, we'd call it. You know, paint schools, build trenches, to uh, build them the long gang and all this kind of stuff. And one year we went and brought a whole bunch of young people. We hiked there, we were absolutely exhausted. We did a bit of painting. And then after that, we slept in one of the school classrooms and that night the village gathered together for their religious ceremony and they began to pay homage to the gods and you could feel a spiritual darkness come over that village next morning we woke up and they wanted to drive us out of that village they were angry with us so i sent the youth ahead had one translator with me a friend of ours in east timor and one of the young people who i wanted to groom as a leader and one of the villagers grabbed me by my shirt, and he wanted to choke me by the throat. And he started screaming at me. He had a parang in his hand, threatening my life, saying, "You promised us these things. You were going to do this. You were going to do that." And there was a translator. Uh, "You promised that you're going to do this. You promised you're going to do that." And right there and then, I felt the spirit of God there. Oh, I could see this man, I could feel his saliva and everything thrown at me. I could feel all this hatred and evil and darkness at me. Accusations, but yet, strangely enough, I felt the presence of God. And I heard the Lord, this Holy Spirit, say, call out the name of Jesus. Now I didn't yell out the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus or anything. I just said, in the name of Jesus, let go. This man was angry. He went, ah! He shrilled. He let go, and the three of us walked out that village. See, for many years, East Timor, all the Christians there and the missionaries suffered a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition, but yet there was a lot of prayer, Oh, there was a lot of faith, there was a lot of confidence in the victory of Christ, and to this day, to this day, we are beginning to see rumblings of revival in East Timor. Villagers coming to know the Lord, village chiefs giving their life to Christ, village chiefs making a decree, we will all now worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And just yesterday, our senior pastor shared to the leaders at our gathering of the multitude a story that happened during the pandemic of how our church began to reach out to the foreign workers in this this country. And one of the events they held was for foreign workers from Central Asia, They gathered on Chinese New Year and they preached the gospel. And then the preacher asked, who will follow this Jesus? And over 60 of these men rose up and they yelled, yelled out, we will believe, we will believe. And then they were followed through and they were discipled. And 20 of them were baptized recently in our church. And recently they had an event, a packed hall of farm workers. And they needed a worship team. Who did they get? they got these 20 men to be the choir because there's a belief of the victory to have in Jesus. That is unshakable faith. As we come to a close this morning, there's a spiritual burden that I'd like to share with us as we respond to the Lord. You see, We believe that Christ is coming again real soon. Perhaps some of you have been Christians for a long time and you hear this narrative spoken. The narrative is that, oh, I ask you, if you knew that Jesus is coming again tomorrow, how would you live? And then we say, I'll just live as normal, as I am now, just faithful. And that script becomes so pervasive in in our minds, we think it's okay. But here, we are seeing the signs of Him coming again soon. We don't know the time or the date, we know He's coming as a thief in the night, but we don't know that time. But if you have warning, He's coming again soon. You see earthquakes. You see climate change. You see an escalation of of war and violence. What do we do as a church? Can I humbly ask you, where's the church? Where's the desperation and the hunger for more of God? Where's the response when we say come pray and we say I'll be there because we must claim in Jesus' name this part where the devil is trying to invade. Where is that spiritual hunger? Where is the desire where it says that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few? And we say come, be that worker in his harvest field but then we may say, too busy. I've got enough problems on my own. Or we'll respond to give me Jesus, but perhaps it's for me, I, myself. Perhaps we are still at that starting line, but we need to step in by faith, with unshakable faith, and cultivate spiritual vigilance and have that confidence in His victory. Because there's a world out there that needs Jesus. You see, we sit here today, and we have received Jesus. Yet we have our own problems. And we understand that way. We can empathize with all that's going on. We will all experience tragedies in our life, failures and betrayal and sin, and pressure and stress. We'll all experience the death of a loved one. We'll all experience all these things. Can you imagine there's a world out there that experiences exactly the same things as us and even worse at times, but yet they live life without Jesus in their heart. What then should be the response of the church if we know he's coming again, when we know that rebellion will escalate, when we know this man of lawlessness will come? He will come as a fake leader of righteousness, but disguised actually, he is actually evil. What should be the response of the church? The spiritual weight and burden is this, that all of us actually need what is called as an awakening in our spirit because we are asleep as a church. In fact, we are some of us, we are snoring at the watch post or we are being induced by a spiritual coma by the devil himself. But what we really need is an awakening in our spirits To the times that we live in, so that actually we understand what it means to be desperate for God. When we actually sing these songs, Give Me More, Give Me Jesus, it is not just a nice song, it is a song in our hearts, deep down in our spirits. We want more of Him. You can have all this well, you can give it to the devil but I want more of Jesus. I want my church to have more of Jesus. We need more of his kingdom. We need to really preach the gospel unashamedly, live it out as he wants us to be. My question for us is, does this resonate with you? Do you recognize your own spiritual slumber? Do you recognize that in your heart, you actually need an awakening? All right here at this juncture, this is where I call for that response that in about 20 seconds from now, we're all going to stand. And if this word resonates in your heart, I would like you to do something. I'd like you to walk up here to the front, to this altar here. This includes the choir, includes the worship team, even includes the tech crew, even the staff, any of us here. We feel and we know that this is from the Lord. Then, Come to this front here. Why to the front? Is it so that we have a big show in the front? No. This place is a sacred place. This is a place where we say we'll put that plant a stick, as it were, in the ground and say, no more. I shall awaken. And I cannot awaken unless the Spirit of God falls on me and I recognize that I need more of Him. That I recognize that it is not just me that needs an awakening. It is us as a collective. need that spiritual awakening in these days today. So... We're going to do this. We're all going to stand. And if the Lord is calling you to come forward, would you come forward, please? And if those of you not led to come forward, would you consider in your hearts this word? So would we stand? And if this resonates with you, would you come forward quietly? And then those worship team that can minister here, just come up here. But you come to the front, that's right. Just come to the front here. And say, Lord, I recognize this. I need that spiritual awakening. As you come, there'll be different ones that will come and minister and pray. But as we come forward, there's a song that we will sing together. It says, Let your glory fall in this place. Let it be known from here to the nations. May your fragrance rest in this room. As we come forward to pray, different ones of us stand in the pews and we're thinking, Oh, what about me? As we sing this song, as we minister to the people at the front, Would you prayerfully consider if this is of the Lord? And if it is, you are more welcome to come down to the front as well and to be ministered to, prayed through, be encouraged. Shall we all just come to this place of worship right now? Those of us in the front, those of us in the pews, encourage us where we are. Would we lift our hands before the Lord? Say, Lord, this of you. It's of you, Lord. I will come to that front portion. Not because Pastor Matt says so, but because the Spirit of God led me here. I recognize my own need for spiritual awakening. Let's come to this place. Begin going to worship Him. Father of creation. Fold your sovereign plan, raise up a chosen generation generation. that we march through the land. All of creation is longing, all creation is longing. Your glory let your glory fall in this room Therefore, from here to the nation Song, perhaps some of us we sense the spirit of God calling us again. I invite us if you feel led, just come to the front, say, Lord, forgive me, Lord, help me, Lord. I recognize in my life I need that spiritual awakening. As we sing this song again, it's our prayer. Come forward, I'm gonna ask some of us to start ministering to one another. There's so many here, I ask some leaders to also help and pray. Allow us, ask David to continue to lead us in this song as we minister, thank you. Here we stand low with unveiled face. Listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.